Amy recently went on a camping trip with my family. She left me at home and she went with my family on a camping trip with my family. It was all women. It was like seven or eight women and they all went. The purpose was to celebrate my sister's upcoming marriage. They went to the same ancestral camping grounds that I grew up going to year after year, summer after summer. And they did all of the things that we normally and uh, historically would do every year. That my mom and Mrs. Stoffel were there and they were in the kitchen cooking and cleaning and preparing everything, the chicken and the power bars and the steak and all of this good food. They climbed dunes, they baked in the sun, they napped and read magazines, they set out at night and looked at the stars, they sat around the bonfire and they talked. There really, it was just different locations of talking. They would talk around the fire, they talk around in the kitchen, talk on the beach. It was just talking the whole weekend pretty much. But my wife came back, and, and these are the things that we did every year growing up. This was, uh, for my family, we would do this every single summer. We would always go to the same place, same zero, number three campsite. We would go there every year, and we would go with differing groups of family and friends, but every year we would go. And my wife came back, and she said, hey, and this is what kind of stuck out to me. She was telling me and rehashing everything that happened, everything that went on, and she said, you know, I, I felt like I was reliving your childhood experiences. I felt like I got to know you deeper or a glimpse into your life and upbringing. And I started just thinking about that statement. And as I was thinking about that trip, because we've had little kids and we've kind of not been in, in the same camping mode for a little bit. And I was just starting to think through all of those experiences and those memories. And I was starting to think through all the times that, that, that happened there. I remember when Alexa's sandal got stolen by a raccoon. I remember the seat in the morning where I had my first cup of coffee. I remember walking up to the campsite for the first time. Me and Thomas walking the circle cruising for babes at the age of 13 <laughs> on our sweet looking scooters. I remember all those things. And as I was thinking about it and reminiscing about it, it just kind of brought old, commonplace things back to life. It kind of put a, a very uh, well-known view and it renewed itself in my mind. Today we're starting a new series that I'm really excited about. We're jumping into the book of Ephesians or the epistle or the letter of Ephesians. And we're going to be spending our fall just going through this book and trying to understand its purpose in the Bible and in our lives. This is a little bit of a different study for us. This is a, uh, this study, it, it, you come to the book instead of topical or a theme and coming to it with bias, we come to this book just trying to learn its author, its audience, and its original intention. We come to it and just try to understand what the scripture is saying. We just finished a three-week series on community where the topic was community and we bounced around to all these different um, scriptures and places. And I, I put together all of these, these main themes. But in this study, we're coming to it and we're just trying to understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us or tell his original audience. And we're going to be viewing things Familiar territory if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while. Things that may have become to take commonplace in your life, like adoption, election, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ as Messiah, uh, our identity in Christ, living out our lives as a Christian. Things we talk a lot about in church. But this is my encouragement just over 
this whole study, though, is to, if you can start looking this at this with renewed eyes, if you can approach common topics, miracles that have just taken common place in our lives. Tim Mackey's professor, he's also co-starter of the Bible Project. He's heavily influencing a lot of this work. He just has incredible work on Ephesians. But he says it this way. He says, when reading Paul, let these words become strange and new to you again. And that's the approach that I would suggest that we walk into Ephesians with as we start this study, is that these words that may feel common, topics that may seem like we've talked about this before or at every Bible study or reference it in every song, that these things that may feel common to you, that the power in those things may become alive to you again. And that's our approach today. So if we could just take a moment and pray, we're going to invite God's presence into this moment. Father God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you, God, for giving us such a concise and put together place where we can approach your will and know you better, God. Thank you, God, for the book of Ephesians and that we can approach it and understand it, God. I pray these familiar and common feelings and words and topics would become new to us again. Refresh refresh us and revive us in Jesus' name. Amen. Really quick, I don't know if you saw this in the news this week, this headline popped out for me about a well-known religious leader. It was reported that they were speaking and ranting threats against the Christian church. They reportedly were eager to kill Jesus' followers. This leader even requested police assistance in rounding them up and putting them in jail. And if I told you the name of this leader, you would be surprised because their work is well, well known in the community well-published, well-respected, but it's interesting that they had this type of encounter. That might surprise you. You know, we're starting in Ephesians this week, and one of the first place that I want to jump into as we approach this book is to understand the author. If you turn to Acts chapter 9, 1 through 2, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So we went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. This is the author of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.1, it says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. That whole thing about a church leader in the headlines, that was just a joke. It's like it was just prompting you to think about this in a different way. We have the benefit of time and history on our side, right? Before Paul was Paul, though, he was known as a man named Saul. And Saul was known for his zealous religious fever to extinguish the way of Jesus. He breathed threats. He was angry against the church, so mad that he was requesting assistance to go and letters and help from the authority to go lock up the new believers of Jesus, the followers of the way, the new church that was growing. He was trying to squash this thing. In his way, he was trying to glorify God. But before Paul was Paul and when Saul was Saul, he had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. It's important that you understand the author. It's important that you understand the context from which he's writing. It gives you better scope of the words that he writes 
to us with. In continuing, we're going to just finish the story really quick in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, or this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone speaking, someone's voice, but saw no one. This is the moment that Paul is referring to when he tells people that he was chosen or commissioned by the very will of God. This is a very characteristic way of Paul introducing his letters. I am Paul, chosen by the will of Jesus or the will of God. He's reminding them that he's not coming in his own pride. He's not speaking to them out of his own station of life, that this was a God moment. He was commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he reminds them of that in the very, very first verse. This letter is from Paul. He's telling them who he is. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to the holy people in Ephesus who are the faithful followers of Christ Jesus. He takes all of that energy he had to destroy the church. He takes all of that, that uh, pent-up aggression and frustration and passion, some might say, to put out what he felt was... Um, taking away from God's glory, threatening the house of God. And he has an encounter with Jesus that changes everything. One quick encounter, on the way, on mission, on route, and he encounters Jesus, and everything changes. He does a complete 180. Everything changes in a moment. And he takes all of that passion, that same passion to glorify God, misdirected, but he turns it and uses it to glorify this new church, the way of Jesus. When he gets a revelation and understanding of who the true God is. And this is very important because it is the underlying current to Ephesians. Is that there is a moment, a revelation, a revealing where you meet Jesus, you meet God, and everything in that moment changes. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where all of a sudden, everything you believed or thought changed in one moment. This is a silly example, but as a kid, um, well, I've always been kind of a passionate person. I always believe I'm right until I'm proven wrong. Right, Sydney? I don't know where you are, but shush, Sydney, sit down. And so, as a kid in preschool, or, uh, I, I was adamantly defending the church. Because there was this kid in there preaching hypocrisy saying that a dead man came back to life called Jesus. And I was like, that's impossible, scientifically speaking, buddy. And so I was telling him how he's so wrong. And it's the only fight I've really been in in my life. But I was telling that kid what's what and telling him what's wrong. And then I get home. Mom said, Josh, I heard you got in a fight with Devin. And I said, yeah. Yeah, I did. Because you know what he was saying? And I told her everything. And she said, well, Josh... Jesus did come back to life. And in that moment, I go, oh, okay. All right, and I was wrong. Have you ever had a moment like that where you believe something so passionately, but you have an encounter with the truth? 
You have an encounter that just changes you rapidly in 180 degrees. And that's what happened to Saul on the way to Damascus. He's on his way to extinguish the church. But he has a moment, a revelation, a meeting with Jesus. And all of a sudden he does a 180 turn. And instead of trying to destroy it, he puts all of his, his energy into building it up and establishing the church, the following, the way of Jesus Christ. And a lot of it he does from prison. This guy gets better and better, breathing threats, trying to put people in prison, jumping on their side. All that energy lands him more than once on the other side of the law, the very law that he was trying to support at one time. As Adele says, hello from the other side, right? And it's here that we believe that Ephesians was written, was that in his two-year house arrest in Rome on his way and waiting to meet with Caesar, he wrote the letters known as the prison epistles or the prison letters. Four different letters that he sent out in his time, just sitting there, waiting, reflecting on Jesus, reflecting on the churches, hearing about how all of these relationships, how all these churches are doing, and he's sending these responses out. And it's here in captivity that he's taking this little short vacation from church planning, and he's sending these letters of encouragement, rebuke, correction, whatever, out to these different churches. And it's here that we believe that Ephesians was written. So now that's a little bit about the author. It will help you to understand who the audience was for. Who was Ephesians intended for? Well, you might think that that's very obvious. Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, this is the ESV translation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Same verse, but in the New Living Translation, it says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are the faithful followers of Christ Jesus. We get three different words, and you can look at several different translations, but you really get three, uh, three basic main ideas that come through this. The audience was the holy ones, the saints, or the faithful followers of Jesus. These are words that we don't really use very much anymore, but they're very commonplace in Paul's time. When was the last time you came in and said, hello, holy saint, follower of Jesus, welcome to Sunday church? We don't really do that. But Paul's asserting something. He's giving ownership to a group of people that are in. You know, I've been living in Illinois for eight years now, eight years. But I do not consider myself an Illinoisan. I consider myself a Hoosier because that's where I grew up and that's where I'm from. If somebody was call, called me a Hoosier, I'd feel like, yeah, that's who I am. Jokingly, my friends from out of state call me a corn husker because we, we have corn. And, and I say, yeah, I do love corn. You know, I do have one person here, though. I was talking to my sister-in-law this week, and she was saying, I sent the boys out to go shuck some corn, as a good, healthy family should do. If you don't eat corn, shame on you. And so they're out shucking corn, and the youngest boy, I think he's four now, and he said, uh, Mom, can I eat this? And she said, it's not cooked. But he's like, well, can I eat it? And she said, yeah. And he ate a whole ear of raw corn. That boy can claim the name of Hoosier. I will gladly welcome him to my home state of Indiana. But Hoosier, corn husker, whatever you want to say, it, it, that idea is reminding you of the group that you belong to. And so what Paul's doing is saying, holy people, saints, the faithful followers of Jesus, he's reminding them of who they belong to. You are the followers of Jesus Christ. 
and he's reminding them of an attribute that does not start in them. Because holiness is always attributed to God. We first, God is holy. And then we are invited into his family. And when you say yes to the family of God, immediately God's holiness is put upon you. He already has a direction and he has elected you for certain things and purpose things in your life. And when you say yes, that holiness that is God inside of God is, becomes one of your attributes. You are holy. You are a saint. You are the faithful follower when you say yes to Jesus and yes to God. You are set apart from the normal you are set apart with purpose. You are the faithful followers of Jesus. And Paul, in verse 1 of this letter, is reminding the people of who he is. And he's reminding them of who you are. You, church, today, are a holy people. You are saints. You are the faithful follower of Jesus. And it's good for you to commonly and frequently reminds yourself of that. Because I don't know about you, but maybe you're thinking, you know, most days don't feel very holy. As you're changing the kids' diapers, or stopping the fight, or getting a little rowdy on the golf course, or dealing with those really annoying clients, or you have that little pest problem, and you, you have to set up the mouse traps, or you get stupid at youth group, or whatever it is, you might say, I don't feel very holy. This just feels like normal life that gets kind of crazy. And Paul speaks into that, saying, no, you are the holy people, the followers, the faithful. It's the God's level, it's his, his, his attribute, his characteristic that's on you and in you. You are different, you're set apart, you are the holy people. And Paul reminds them of that. Our holiness begins with God as we come to God through Jesus. It's in that moment that his holiness is imparted to us. Jack Hayford, he says it this way, holy people is never merely a religious title in the Bible, but a declared state of being, so called by God because he made them holy through his salvation. You, church, are God's chosen, holy, faithful saints. Remember and own that title today. Maybe you don't feel very holy today. Maybe you feel holy today, but you know that when the work week starts tomorrow, it just feels like the daily grind. You still have to deal with that hard to get along with neighbor, or that boss that is just really frustrating to work for, or that one client that you just know is a headache, and you don't feel holy. You feel frustrated or angry. You are a holy person. And where you go, you bring the presence of God with you. And in that moment, it can be a holy moment, a set-apart moment, a different moment. But you have to remember your identity, which is that you are God's people. And so Paul writes this. I'm writing to God's holy saints, whatever you want, word you want to use, people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. That was the encouraging, supporting part. This is the second part of this audience is more informational, but it gives you a better context and understanding of the reason why Ephesians was written. The interesting piece, and this was new information to me that took me a lot of studying. I had to flip some notes at the very last minute on Thursday. I had to rewrite this whole section is because most scholars believe 
that Ephesians was not written to the church in Ephesians, er, Ephesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. This is not my everyday reading Bible. This is my studying Bible. You should have a studying Bible. This is a Bible that has supplementary work in it that is helpful to you in understanding God's word. It's not the Bible, all those extra texts and commentaries. You have to weigh that, and you have to make sure that your theology matches up, but it is very helpful information. And if you have a study Bible like this, if you look on 1.1 and you look at the footnotes, you'll read something like this. The most ancient manuscripts do not include in Ephesus. You see, your Bible was not, Jesus didn't go, Paul didn't go to uh, Penguin House Publishing or whatever and say, here's the, here's the letters, go publish a Bible. The Bible was written on these scrolls and letters and sent around and distributed and copied and sent again and again. And, and there's all these, these letters. And what scholars did, they, they took all these letters together. They compiled them. They looked at, here's the differences. Here's the commonalities. Here's, we know this is a very credible source. And they compiled it, condensed it, and did their best job and version to give us this very compact book that we call the Bible today. And it's great and it's good and it's very good, but... At times, the new information is revealed. And one of those things is the text that they view as one of the most trustworthy and uh, balanced and worth considering is that in that original text that is older than the other ones, the in Ephesus was absent. So they still think it was to Ephesians, but not specifically to the church in Ephesus. And there's some reasons that this makes sense. We're not going to get into all of them today. There's a lot. There's whole books and chapters on this. But it is important to us understanding it. But I want to share this with you. One reason why this makes sense to me, too, in reading this and why I'm presenting it to you is that this was not an unknown church to Paul. In Acts uh, 19 and 20, we actually find out that Paul spent three years itinerating with this church. He was in their houses, in their lives, and he was daily in the synagogue teaching them. Daily in the halls of Tyrannus teaching them about the way of Jesus Christ. He knew these leaders deeply. After he left Ephesus, he had traveled around a little bit and he sailed back close and he actually calls the leaders to come and say goodbye to him because he knows that he's not going to see them again. And so he, they come to him, and he kind of, as a father to his son on his deathbed, giving these last words of encouragement and advice to steer them into the future. And he shares all these things with them, and this is their response. This is Acts 20, verse 36 through 38. It says, and when they said these things, he knelt down, he prayed for them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Paul lived, worked, and taught, and had grown to love these people deeply. It was very, very clear that Paul and the church leaders in Ephesus were very, very close. What's your point? The point is, is that Ephesians is written very generally. Unlike many other epistles that Paul writes, he doesn't cite a single person specifically. He doesn't write into a single response specifically. He's not addressing a specific situation or conflict. He's not correcting. He's, he's generally giving it to the people. There's verses in here that where it shows you that he is not, he doesn't know them. In chapter 1, 315, and in th chapter 3, you see these areas of, I've heard about your faith. 
I've heard about you. Other people have told me, and he introduces himself to them. But this is people that Paul had lived and done life with for three years. Unlike right now, when you go to pretty much any given major town, you have your run of churches. There's churches for everything you want. You want to go to the hot dog church that loves hot dogs? There's a church there for that. Like, if you want a Baptist, AG, Pentecostal, uh, Evangelical, whatever, you can find all these churches. But in Paul's time, when the ministry in the church was just fresh, mere, less than 30 years old, there was a church in that town. And Paul was in the church of Ephesus. There was not churches. There was one fellowship in that town. And Paul's very general in his approach in Ephesians. The overall message of Ephesians supports this idea too is that this was written to a group of churches and not just one church in particular. And I told you about where I camp, that campsite. There's one particular dune that lives in our memory. This dune is accessible at nighttime from the camps. See, during the day, you would take your car, you'd drive a mile or two to the beach, and then you'd have all these dunes in the ocean or the Lake Michigan, everything right there. But at nighttime, there was one dune that you could walk to. And historically, me and my friends or a couple parents or whatever, that those nights we would, when the fire was low and before we would go to bed, we would go to this dune. And we'd walk to the campsite, take a little trail, and it's right there. It's very steep, completely dark except for the stars, and the sand's cold on your feet, and we would climb up this dune. And we'd usually race each other, but we're getting up there to the top, and you have to be kind of quiet so the rangers don't find you. And you get all the way to the top, and when you finally are huffing and puffing and get to the top, you're rewarded with this incredible, incredible view. You sit up there, and you can see not just the campsite, but the whole surrounding town. The stars are so brilliant and so bright. The sand's the perfect temperature. And you don't see houses and you don't see cars, but you see general shapes and you see lights. And you rise above the trees and you get up high and you see this beautiful landscape. And that's what Ephesians is. It's Paul rises above the daily grind, the daily things of going on in life, the specifics, and he gets really high up. And he looks down this is a revelation of his thoughts on Christ and how it, in, how it works out in our lives. That's very different than how he approaches many of his other works. You know, if you notice, we've never preached a sermon up here on circumcising new believers. You know why? Because that's never been an issue in our church. But Paul did preach that. Paul sent letters to people because it was specific to their context and the response to the things that were going on. Most of what Paul does is very, very specific to the audience. Reprimanding or correcting or encouraging them. Eric Rudman says it this way, unlike other New Testament letters, one does not discern any error, conflict, or misunderstanding that prompts the writing of this letter. Talking about Ephesians. Paul writes to simply advance, advance Christian insight and maturity. And so this is the idea. If you actually take that and read, you can admit in Ephesus, and it still reads very well. I am writing to God's holy people who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. 
And the idea is that Paul had sent this letter to the province in Asia. And this letter got assigned to Ephesians some way down the line because Ephesus was this major cosmopolitan town, the capital of that area, an established church. And so this letter is something they call a circular letter, meant for many churches to instruct them in the way of being a Christ follower and living that outdated day. But it was meant as a general letter to the followers of Jesus, which is good news for us because this means that this letter applies to you too. That the ideas and the theology and the, practical, the practicality of this message is for you today. It's for your life right now. Because it was sent as a letter to instruct the churches in how to live. You know, Marty uh, turned me on to a book a few months ago by Watchman Nee. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. I think he called it a pithy little work. Marty, it's a great little book, um, but it's all about Ephesians. And those ideas capture the purpose of Ephesians incredibly well. Ephesians, in three simple words, it teaches you how to sit with Jesus, how to walk your faith out, and how to take a stand against the spiritual darkness in our world. Sit, walk, stand. And those are concepts we're going to be delving into and explaining more fully in the weeks to come. To give you the, uh, the Pentecostal 3P breakdown, Ephesians teaches us our position in Christ, our participation in the world, and our proactive stance towards spiritual warfare. Ephesians, and this is Tim Mackey's version, Ephesians' purpose. Ephesians is a community's guide for comprehending and responding to the apocalypse of the crucified and risen king in the cosmos. That wording may surprise you a little bit if you're familiar with Ephesians. You might be saying, why are you saying this? But Ephesians is actually apocalyptic writing. Paul gives us this thesis statement in Ephesians 3, 4, and 6. He talks about how, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it's been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Ephesians is Paul's revelatory work into the mystery of God. This word for reveal is apocalypsis in the Greek. And literally, metaphorically, it means to uncover, to reveal, to show something. It also has this idea of illuminating or turning on light. It's that light bulb moment. It's that moment when you, all of a sudden, your body and your mind connect and you can figure out how to ride a two-wheel bike. It's that moment when you, all the shapes and the sounds and all those, uh, those things come together and you realize you can read. It's the moment when, as you're watching that movie, all of those hints and clues come together and you can understand what it was all leading up to. It was that moment, that apocalypsis moment, that Saul met Jesus and he was revealed to him. And everything changed. When you have an apocalypsis moment and the truth is revealed to you, your life will change. And that is the work of Ephesians. As Paul is sitting in prison and working through his faith and not able to go and meet with leaders and not able to go on missionary trips and not able to go out and do the work that he felt destined to do, he's thinking about the faith. He's thinking about the relationship with Jesus, the purpose of Jesus. Why did God send him? 
What does this mean to us? And he has new revelation or apocalypsis. The, the truth is unveiled or uncovered before him. I went into my kids' room this last week. I had to wake them up early for something. And much to their dismay, I apocalypsis their blankets. I took the blankets off of them and uncovered them. And this truth that Paul's speaking of, he's saying there's a revealing of truth about Jesus that I didn't understand before. And I have to share it with you because it changes everything. Sit, walk, and stand. Church, we're going to end with this today. We've done really good. We've made it through two verses, and I feel pretty good about that. We're going to read up to verse 15, though, as a church. And before we do anything, though, I just want to explain this, is that when you have an apocalypsis, that, that revelatory moment with Jesus... The first time you said yes to salvation. The, that time when you said yes in obedience or in faith. That time that you had a moment of revealing, you immediately follow that with worship and praise. Verse 3, Paul starts writing in the typical way that the Psalms and, and poems, they would write praises to God. And verses 3 through 14 is really this opening poem of Paul worshiping and praising God. In the Greek, it's one sentence, one continuous flowing poem that doesn't make a lot of sense in English, but in the Greek, it would have been very, very beautiful, so I'm told. I don't read Greek very well, or at all. But this is what I want to do to end our time together, is that I want to stand, and we're not going to look at our phones, and I want to put the Bible up here. I'm going to read it to you as they would have been as they would have received it as the first church. And we're going to read these words, and in your mind you're reading it under the context of this is Paul praising and worshiping God for a revelation, a new truth, an uncovering into the mystery of Jesus. And just sit with the words and see what the Holy Spirit does with you. So if you would, please stand. You know what, we have time for one more metaphor. I'm going to do it this one time. <laughs> Many of you parents, I believe, are on to this because I watch your social media accounts. But a new show just came out with season three this week. And Laura, I know you know what it is. Bluey came out. Amazing show. Incredible show. Eight-minute episodes. They're hilarious. But it's, if you're not familiar with it, it's just this cartoon mom and da dad dog. And they're two little daughters, Bluey and Bingo. And it's just normal, everyday occurrences in their life. And they just depict these in really funny ways. And the Australian accents, which just makes my kids laugh anyways. And they do this one episode that's called Born Again. or uh, What is it called? Born Yesterday. Thank you, Amy. We're really invested in this. Born Yesterday. In this episode, the dad's pretending that this is his first day on earth. And he's seeing everything with new eyes, and he's pretending with the kids, and they're introducing him to all these things. As you, you have to you use manners, and you can't just take things from people, and this is food, and you have a name, and all these things. But the episode ends with this, with the dad sitting in the backyard, just looking at a leaf. And the game's over, and they're done playing, but he's zooming in, and he's seeing all the intricacies and the beauties of this leaf. Common things. They become uncommon to us. 
holds such tremendous beauty and power. And that is the work of Ephesians. A common thing, common theology that can be taken for granted over time. And so as we read this, this hymn of praise and worship to God, may, un, may common things become new to you again. Amen. It says this in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, chose us in Christ to be holy without faults in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered us with his kindness on us. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God is now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is to fulfill his own good plan. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews were first we're the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him.